After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, it's Raghu Marcus, and this is another Mind Rolling, and I have a wonderful guest today, Nancy Collier, and Nancy and I just met, and I'm going to be happy as you all out there to get to know her a little bit. She wrote a, an amazing book called The Power of Off, and there isn't one person amongst us that uh, sure could use uh, this read. I'll tell you that, Nancy. It's quite a book. Thank you. I agree. I think we all need it. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask just a little bit about yourself and how now uh, after reading this and, you know, getting to know you that way, um, I uh, I know that you have uh, obviously a relationship of some sort with Buddhist thought. Is that not true? Yes, I, I've been a practicing Buddhist for, um, I don't even like the term Buddhist because it feels contrary to uh, the practice, but I've studied and been a student of Eastern spirituality for maybe 20 years. Mm. I was also raised by, believe it or not, Buddhist parents. Oh, wow. So uh, it's always been uh, a part of my life. And it became more of a part of my life about, about 15, 20 years ago, became very central practice and um, there's a there's a practice called non-duality which is a kind of form of comes out of the Advaita mm -hmm. tradition and and that's really my primary practice uh -huh. wonderful well well Nancy I have to tell you one thing before we get into because I do want to hear a, a little bit more of, of your personal journey but I have to say one thing about the power of off in uh, your book, your new book, and that is, I had a similar experience with this book, reading this book, that I did with reading Ramdas. You, know, I think you know who Ramdas yeah. is, yeah. So, uh -huh. with reading well, Ram Ramdas, I'm is, so delighted to be in the same sentence that I. Whatever <laughs> you say going forward is great. Uh, so he wrote he wrote a, a book on aging, and uh, so. I, I remember reading the book and everything, you know, and a lot in the book is about how we absolutely go every which way we can to deny aging, right? Everything we do is around that. And I actually, I was with him one day. I said, Ramdas, you know, that book you wrote, it's just absolutely pissed me off big time because everything <laughs> you wrote in it, I'm enacting. 
I'm acting it out. <laughs> I am so in denial. It's not right. even funny. Same with this <laughs> this book, The Power of Awe. Okay. Yeah. I go in there. And, oh my God! I'm doing all right. the same uh, bullshit that we are all so caught in with our technology, <laughs> and, and particularly our phones. Uh, you know, and uh, like I get yeah. mad at my well, wife. Oh, yeah, you're way more on it than I am. You keep that thing by your bedside <laughs> in the middle of the night. You're looking at the damn thing. Right. You right. Know? And then. Well, she would fit in with 50 percent of the population sleeps with it on the pillow or in the bed under the covers. 80 percent of millennials. So 80. she would be right in the norm. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, when you look at some of the things, there's a wonderful article in the New York Times which you contributed to that I that uh, that I took a look at, and uh, most people now check their smartphones 150 times a day or every six minutes. Okay, when you actually, actually look at these things, going, yeah, but it's going to now every five minutes. Oh, really? <laughs> Is that uh, a phenomenon with uh, coordin- uh, coinciding with our new president, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> Too much there to even even go there. The Twitter the Twitter presidency is upon us. Yeah, really. So, all right, but let's back up a little bit. So, just in terms of uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, I always love to hear from people what it is that was the real moments and events that. Uh, led into a transformation out of knowing um, that you are your mind, your ego, and all. There is another dimension. What are some of those things? I mean, uh, in in my earliest days with this podcast, uh, for me, it was, of course, back in the day, psychedelics, music. Those were two very powerful change um, organisms for me. What were the things that really um, defined you and led you to a path of uh, obvious inner inquiry? Probably what brings a lot of people to the cushion, um, that the, the strategies that I was using to find happiness were not working. And um, that there was this relentless belief, I suppose you could say, that there was something outside myself that would lead me to fundamental well-being. And, you know, as a sort of type A cubed personality, uh, you know, I mastered everything and and did everything and accomplished everything and uh, learned everything and still... uh, couldn't find a place where I could just settle down and be where I was. So after years and years of that, I, I had to start to look in a different direction. And I think I stumbled on, there was that, there are a couple poems, but um, one was, you know, you're looking in a thousand different places um, and until you exhaust the moment and the looking, um, you'll never find refuge. Mm. And there was also the Rumi poem that was, uh, I've been knocking all this time only to realize I've been knocking from the inside and a couple of spiritual teachers who just in sitting with them, uh, really pointed me to my own endless searching. And I remember, uh, Gangaji was one of those, oh. uh, saying to stop all stop, just stop, stop the strategies. And then now I, I work a lot with Adyashanti and Muji and 
um, the sense of the delight that comes, I found, in uh, moving from contents to context, you know, from what my mind is sort of spinning to um, to what is it that makes me aware of what it's spinning. And just the sense of relief, maybe the first time ever being able to be where I was, dropping the future and the past. Some great teachers, you know, even even just basic teachings like in Eckhart Tolle's book or um, uh, Pema Chodron, you know, the doorway for me was compassion, was the recognition of how much I'm struggling and trying to find refuge. So the doorway to uh, the sense of spaciousness, to being awareness was through kind of the heartbreak for this human struggle to try and find peace. Right. Yeah. And my path, a lot of my path was through, um, I was a very high level equestrian. Oh. And for 25 years I rode on the horse show circuit at a really high level. And that was my teacher. That was my teacher about learning how to be where I was and all of the, all the good stuff that comes with that. Yeah. Mastery is a great, it's a great Dharma doorway. Yeah. Talk about balance. Learning how to keep balance, huh? Yeah, wow. absolutely. Keep balance and, and keep being a beginner, you know, and get, boy, you want to be humbled. You know, your ego wants to be humbled. Just keep getting better, you know, that there's no end to that. And uh, all the lessons that we learn by being up against ourselves. So I were actually, my first book is called Getting Out of Your Own Way, which is about that process. Mm. But then you you did obviously changed careers, yeah, and uh, moved into I think social work and then therapy, right? Yes, I mean there was a lot of crossover. I've been a therapist for a long time, but mm. um, you know it really was a case of wanting to work with people and and do awareness practices with other people and bring that. You know, in the West we have such a a problem with self hating with second arrows, you know, everything is about uh, becoming a better version of ourselves. So there was a great desire to offer, I suppose, what I was learning. Um, and then, of course, in this world, this virtual world, to be seeing all the ways that we're changing as a result of the technology and, and where there's hope in this and where I'm very concerned about this, particularly raising children in this environment mm. yeah, really. and how we can use the technology really to uh, build awareness. We, we may be able to flip it and use it in a different way. Boy, I have been talking about this uh, off and on in, in podcasts that we've done with, with various people. Yeah, there's a lot of benefit and there's a lot of negative process as well it's a very very tough subject um so in the book though uh there's a few things in it that really caught my eye um that particularly i love this chapter when escaping the moment is the new moment and it's not like we as you say uh it's not like we haven't you know we this is a a um a tape that we run about how it is that we can escape and you talk about boredom as well how we can, whatever we can do to distract is what we would tend to do. 
But now we have the biggest potential of <laughs> known to man up till now. Of course, we'll have virtual reality uh, done sure quite enough. well real soon. Uh, but but talk about that. Uh, the just the human condition about how it is so difficult for us to accept settling into a spacious moment. Uh, Ramdas, be here now, huh? I mean, that's a very difficult. It seemed like a simple thing, and that whole book turned on a generation, but it's actually extraordinarily complex and difficult. Can you talk about it a little bit? Well, yeah, the simplest is the hardest. And mm. for time immemorial, as you know, we have been looking for ways to outrun ourselves, to avoid ourselves, to avoid where we are, essentially. And we all have this kind of inner reptile, you know, that wants pleasure, wants distraction, wants escape. Get me out of here, you know, get me out of here. And um, it's not to judge that. That's kind of built into the human condition. We, unfortunately, with technology, we are more and more experiencing ourselves as a vacuum. So where we are is nowhere. And if we are not supplemented or enter, adding entertainment or adding stuff, data, information, something to ourselves, um, it's a kind of abyss. So we don't really experience ourselves anymore as a destination. That was already, as you're saying, that was already a challenge. And one of the things that, um, you know, for example, we'll be walking on the street and something sweet will happen. We'll open a door for someone and we'll have one of those sweet moments. And in the past, before our addiction, we might have spent the next block or two just processing that with ourselves. Imagine with just ourselves, not tell anyone, nothing. And now, of course, you know, within a moment, we are, we're on social media, hashtag sweet moment, you know, uh, kicking it with kindness, uh, you know, <laughs> all about all about gratitude whatever nonsense we put out there and then we wait for the response the thumbs ups the likes the so on to tell us what that experience is supposed to mean so again we're like this empty vesicle waiting for uh for content for for meaning for meaning and th and that's really what's happening is we're not looking to ourselves anymore for meaning. Um, last night I asked my daughter what she wanted for dinner and she said, well, let's go on Instagram and look at pictures of things. And, you know, it's just striking how the whole, the way we find well-being, the way we find peace is by turning in, turning inward. You know, that's what all of spiritual practices is finding oneself as the destination. And yet everything we're doing with technology is teaching us to say, well, where is it? What else? What else? What else? What am I missing? What, what else could I be doing a anywhere but just myself? So this tool, this smartphone, this whatever screen is an ally to our fundamental fear that we, without filling, are nothing. Mm. That's great. It's an ally to our fundamental fear, really. Oh. Yeah. I, I'm writing that down, okay, because it's so great, Nancy. Yeah. 
Um, it's doing a lot of, you know, it's also, it's striking me that, that our relationship with technology is really changing, not just a relationship with ourselves and with open, unfilled space, you know, that is dread, the dread of unfilled space, which is precisely where creativity lies and, and deep well-being lies. But it's also changing in a disturbing way our relationship with life itself, I would say, because we're not in the direct experience of life anymore. You know, we go to the museum, as you know, and we don't, we don't really take in the art. We walk on a country road. We don't feel the breeze. We're not in the experience we're physically in. We are looking on that country road for a place to take a selfie of ourselves <laughs> so we can say, check me out. I'm a person that takes country walks, right? right? So we're using life to build our brand. Life is something we just use to promote our narcissism, right? And at the same time, if we're not doing that, we're, we're trying to capture life every minute. We're denying its ephemeral nature. We're saying, no, it doesn't come and go. I can get it in my iPhoto file. Look at that. I have life. It's right here. I've pinned it down. So then I can show it to everybody. But the cost of that owning life is getting to live it when it's happening. So what I see in my practice is all these folks who are kind of waiting for their real life to start. They don't have a feeling like they've lived. They have all this proof, but they don't actually feel, they don't own the experiences cellularly. So it's a very disturbing. It's like becoming a kind of ghost in your own life. <laughs> and, and so I would say our, our relationship with life, that we're actually swimming in the ocean, we're not that fish who's in a baggie inside the ocean and thinks that, you know, life stops right here at the baggie. We're actually in the ocean and we're losing that experience. Mm. Mm. Which leads me to, which is really a direct um, connect, connection to uh, your chapter on boredom. And what I really love, the verb to bore means to hollow out a tube or make a hole in, right? And in digital age, we view empty space as nothingness, as death. Um, and nothing. And and a little further down, nothing to do is the most nutrient-rich food for the human imagination. I love that. And then further, a hollow is a place where a nest can be built. So yeah, talk. How do we turn this around? this epidemic of boredom? Well, awareness is always our, our entry point, right? So we have to become aware of our great fear of spaciousness, of unfilled time. Of, you know, when somebody comes in to practice with me in therapy and they don't have something immediately on the agenda, I'm, I'm delighted because that is a space to really then find something brand new and create something brand new. But in our culture, we have to become aware that open space, we have to flip it. And just beginning to have that conversation that, you know, like we would with our kids, you know, boredom is not, boredom is not an excuse. Well, then go find something to do. Go find something, you know, figure it out. And we have to start posing that to adults because adults now speak like 10 year olds, you know, Five minutes, you know, I got to kill some time. I've got to kill some time. I could play Candy Crush. I could, you know, I could check my email, you know, 
well, what would happen? You know, there's a lot of interesting research to show that people make big decisions in their lives, primary changes, um, when they are denied technology. When they get off technology, they start being able to look at the bigger issues in their lives and, and make fundamental changes for the better. But when we're filling every moment with distractions and, you know, again, getting through life without having to be with ourselves, be with open space, we don't really make changes. We don't really do anything. We just sort of putter around, move the, the vase from this side of the table to the back and forth and don't address kind of the bigger issues that make our lives better. So just bringing the awareness to one's attention how are you being with open space? How are you? Are you filling your life just to get to the end of it without having to meet an empty space? That's where we have to start because most people aren't even aware that that's how they're, they're just acting impulsively. Yeah. And it's a, it's a given that you know, it's a given. This is the way we have this wonderful new technology and now it's embedded in our lives, in our culture and worldwide, by the way, of course. And now, we there, this total lack of awareness. Now, I've been doing, I've been doing practice for a long time. Went over to India with Ramdas back in the day and met this incredible being in the blanket, yeah. and and so on. Okay, so then I'm reading your book. Here I am, and and just one little place. Yes, we are so afraid to just relax into a moment where there's nothing going on, however which way you said it. Uh, we, we can be in line at Whole Foods and the and while we're waiting to cash out, to check out, what's the first thing we do? Pull out our smartphone and check either Absolutely. or get on Facebook, whatever it is. And I, it's funny because I read it. I was at Whole Foods earlier that day that I read that. <laughs> And I did that, and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, talk about <laughs> here I am, <laughs> here I am, here I am, which which pissed me off about this book because I'm I'm in this book too, and I didn't, I you know I'm not. I wrote in this it for book. you. you yeah. <laughs> but you know the thing is, is at some point, um, what's starting to happen is that people are realizing that what really feeds us and what really nourishes us is more and more out of alignment with the way we're living. And I'm very encouraged by the um, growing awareness and uh, lack of satisfaction with our devices to bring us what we really need. One example of that is uh, connection with other people. You know, in, in the mid-'80s, there was something like 11% uh, – self-reporting of loneliness and now loneliness is at about 40 percent for most people reporting that they feel lonely and mm. uh, the more technology people are using the more depression rates are rising actually um, at a kind of alarming rate in our youth and what we're finding is that uh, the more time people spend online communicating the more lonely that they are and the less time we're spending face-to-face -face connecting, um, the less grounded in their relationships they feel, the less they feel they can rely on their relationships. Um, there's a kind of inauthenticity 
in the relationships because they are on what the media has shown us a relationship looks like. But it's what's happening is that it's not really working for us in a lot of ways. So what has to happen is someone has to get curious about, am I okay with every time I have three minutes to myself, I'm filling it. Am I okay with that? We have to um, come up against something that's not working. And for most people, it's just not feeling a sense of meaning in my life. That's where I'm seeing a crisis in meaning mm. that what does this, what is this supposed to mean? Yes, I, I have, you know, endless choices on Netflix. Yes, I can stream anything. Yes, you know, a product can get here in the morning. Yes, I can have a boyfriend when I swipe right. Yes, everything is possible, but nothing feels like it means anything. And that's what I'm seeing more and more in my practice. And that will lead us to questioning um, technology as a means to filling our deeper human needs. It, 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 is not, it is not the tool for that. And the other thing that I noticed that's really um, creating kind of a crisis is that we have a culture right now uh, of immediate gratification, as you know. Everything should uh, be available right now, and it should not be hard. Nothing should be hard. It should all be easy. I should be able to get what I want now and without any struggle. And, of course, as we know, as you know, generations older than the millennials, everything that brings satisfaction, joy, uh, meaning comes from time and effort everything. And I really say that, you know, consciously, I use the word everything. Um, and so we're in our, in our, um, in our infatuation with the immediate and the easy, we are actually denying ourselves the deeper experiences, uh, that, that bring nourishment to our lives. Mm. And it's same thing with relationships, you know, relationships don't happen overnight. They happen in the empty spaces you know, when, when we can't know an answer to something and we all kind of figure it out together, there's a relationship formed there. Now we just Google it. Somebody Googles it. That, that conversation is over. Relationships happen in these sort of quirky, odd, awkward ways and certainly over time. But what's happening now, you know, is that the kids are telling each other they love each other after, you know, three or four texts. Uh, the communication <laughs> is instantaneous and 24 seven, but it's not built again on the hard parts and the awkwardness and working through stuff together. When that comes up, a lot of these kids are out. They move on to something easier. Hmm. So the, the, the cost is the deep relationships, the deep friendships. Hmm. So you that, know, that's a concern. <laughs> talking about relationships you got to tell that story of this person from your book who was married to someone who she kind of fell out of love with, but wouldn't leave because tell you got to tell that story. That's, yeah, that's this really is this is wall. more common. It's more common than you would realize. Is you know we rely on our technology right now. It feels like that keeps us in the dream of life. It's our umbilical cord. It really is. And for people who are really not tech savvy, there is a sense of absolute terror. Um, if they cannot, if they go offline or something goes wrong and, you know, you see people coming into the genius bars, you know, at the iStores, you know, literally like uh, in fight or flight, 
in true fight or flight, their eyes are bugging out of their head because they feel they their entire connection to life is through this machine. And one of my clients stayed with a partner she really did not love uh, for quite some time until, you know, years later we could work through it um, simply because he fixed her technology. He was useful for her when, you know, she got viruses on her device and she was quite upfront about it. She didn't want to figure out and, you know, despite all of the talk of there are consultants that can do that now and so on, her fear of having to kind of address that whole market and find someone through Craigslist, she was really, she was really frightened of technology and just that he could could keep her online and running <laughs> kept the relationship going for years oh no it years. rings it, it's horrible because it rings <laughs> it's, that's really horrible <laughs> oh my god that... women that and men too they don't want to de deal with that you know in the past it was perhaps the man could go out and make a living or had good genes or this or that I cannot tell you how many people tell me that their partner, you know, he's tech savvy. Usually it's a woman saying, you know, he's tech savvy or he uh, he can handle all of the electronics. And that's replaced, you know, good gene pool or or goes out and makes a good living. You know? <laughs> good. Or a good lover. Good God. Yeah, oh, God, that's long gone. Yeah, that's I mean, finished. Forget one, that. One, yeah. in five, one in five millennials checks their phone during sex. One in 10 Jeez. of all Americans checks their phone during sex. One in three people would give up sex before their phones. So, yeah, let go of the sex part. <laughs> <laughs> That's gone. Oh, God. And then and then, the, since we're, we're on to from the sublime to the ridiculous, what about the, that's, uh, the autocorrect stuff that happens to people on a day-to-day -day basis that you have in this? Oh yeah, uh, well... It's just the larger question there, you know, is we are relating to technology in a way that we've related to really nothing else that I've seen. And as I've studied, you know, generations in that we are turning over our authority. We are literally turning over our authority to an inanimate uh, being called technology. You know, I was I was in a car service recently and it was pouring rain in New York and we were going across at rush hour, a block that has a, a bridge at the end of it. And there were many ways of course, that we could have gotten to the destination I was going. And of course the big GPS is there in the middle. And I said to the human who's still there driving, I said, you know, probably there's another route given that this is a bridge street. This wouldn't be, um, you know, after 40 years of living in New York city, I, I would say this is my experience teaches me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the one line you can imagine, right? GPS tells me this is the way to go. Done. Period. Conversation over. <laughs> so we are turning over, and autocorrector is just one way, um, responsibility, if you will, for kind of our own um, well-being. So we send out a text, and we're perfectly okay if the autocorrector turns it into what it thinks we meant. Yeah. And all of the different, you know, miscommunications that come of that. And then, of course, we're in a we're responding to the miscommunication. So then the autocorrector in some way is creating the dialogue because then I have to sort of say, well, that's not what I meant. And then the person is upset because they think maybe it is what she said, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, one of my favorites was one of my clients um, 
friend who was quite suicidal and reached out to another therapist that I know whose name is Patty. And of course, it, for some reason, it changed it to party. And so her response to his suicidal note was party, <laughs> you know, and there's just all these crazy, crazy things that go on created by technology. And, you know, people ask me if it's an addiction or if we're going to become addicts. And I always laugh because we are full on addicts. We have all the markers of addiction. We're giving up other aspects of our life that used to nourish us to use our substance. We go into full withdrawal of anxiety and depression. Um, we continue using even though we know that it's doing negative things to aspects of our life. And some sneaky part of us knows we should probably not be in a bathroom stall checking. There's probably something wrong if, you know, in the middle of a romantic dinner, we have the phone in between us and our, our partner. And yet we continue doing it even though we kind of know this is not really okay. These are these are the only difference in this addiction, I would say, is that we've all drunk the Kool-Aid. We're all in. Yeah. We've agreed. That's it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's the most horrible part of the whole damn thing. We are supporting each other's that's right. vast and in, in, addiction. In other addictions, at some point in the addiction, you become an outsider from society. You can't you can't stay in your regular world with your addiction. But in this one, you know, where are you going to go? You can you can leave the bar and not hang out with drinkers, but you, where are you going to go to hang out with non-techies? <laughs> yeah. Nowhere. You know, even uh, the caves have Wi-Fi now. Oh, listen, I'll, I'll just tell you this is a little bit out of school, but I go to India all the time. And in India recently, last couple of years, met an extraordinary being, a jungle baba, right? Wow. And he's young. He's early 40s. He's got a cell phone. Okay. I mean, and he is calling. Perfect. He can't Perfect. always call from outside of the caves that he does years and years of practice in. Uh, he has to get to a Wi-Fi, you know, before he can actually. But he's calling his devotees. They're calling. I've called him. Like, <laughs> okay. That's, that's how sad. far it's all come. Right. You know? Well, in a sense, so here's the thing, though. It really is about finding freedom in technology, not from technology. Mm, mm, you know, big point. It's, it's about we're not. As you know, spiritual practice is not about having the perfect sit where there's no noise and there's only good experiences and no thoughts interrupt. It's how do we work the practice in the realities of life, right? When your kids are banging on the door and your mind is a mess and all of that sort of stuff, what does it look like boots on the ground? And so the question then becomes, how do we, every time we have one of these impulses, you know, these hundreds and hundreds of thoughts per day, oh, I could use, I could shop for shoes, you know, <laughs> um, I, could, I, could, uh, I could check the weather, I could check the weather again, you know, I could look up an old boyfriend, whatever the thing is, you know, you wouldn't believe how many people, how many times a day they check the weather. You wouldn't even believe it. All right. You're killing me now. I check oh, the I, weather. I'm going you know, to I know hundred, literally, I'm not, not giving you a hundred times. times a day. So I, I suggest to them, <laughs> what about a window? Do you have, a, you could just switch it up one of them. So, <laughs> but if we just start to catch the number of thoughts we have 
about I could check out of this moment. And if I use that impulse instead of collapsing into it and just following the impulse, and I used it to ask myself, what would I have to feel in this moment if I didn't use or, you know, what's here that I'm trying to distract myself from or use the impulse as an opportunity to check into now, then we can use this whole crazy thing that's going on as a way of becoming more awake, not going further under anesthesia. Yeah. Right. And there are all these encouraging new apps and it seems like a wink and a nod. It seems paradoxical for me to say this, but apps that are, um, making you realize how many times have you checked today or maybe an app that actually allows a parent to shut off the apps that the child has until there's a deal made, you know, until you do your homework. Mm. And then there are apps that say stop and turn everything off and guide you through a, a body meditation because one of the things that's happening is, as you know, most people are lost in their minds and in thoughts all day. And what technology does is it just, it's like a, like a cruise ship buffet for our mind. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. heaven sent food for the mind that never mm-hmm. ends. So some of the apps, instead of being more food and, you know, another place to narrate our life, we already have a kind of built in narrator that, it's like having a biographer that walks 20 feet behind us. Oh, look what's happening in your life. Oh, look, you're having a good time right now. It's kind of telling you the story of your life that you're supposed to be living. And now, of course, with technology, we have a place to put that narration. Now, what do you think of what's happening in my life? Oh, and what do you think? Right. So instead of that being a handshake, we have these new technologies that are saying stop and actually check into your body, get out of your narration. Mm. So it may be that we end up, who knows, using technology to get a handle on technology. Yeah. Well, I'd like to, I want to put a plug in right now for something that we do. And this is the Be Here Now Network, the Ram Dass' Be Here Now Network, where we have all these wonderful teachers with all these wonderful podcasts. You should check it out yourself because you're, I'm sure, quite well acquainted with Sharon Salzberg and some of the other people that we have. She wrote a nice blurb on the book. Oh, yeah. That's great. She's the most wonderful person Um, and a longtime great, great friend. And anyhow, we put together an app. The Be Here Now Network released an app a couple of months ago. It's brand new. Called the Heart Mind app. And in it, of course, you can get all these podcasts. This this podcast we're doing will be on there as well. But it also has things like different meditations, short meditations that we push out at different parts of the day to help you stop your world for a moment and just get into one thing or or even just Ramdas going, be here now, be here now. Just stop your day for a moment. So, and we have an in-app course from that excerpted from uh, called Life in Balance to help people on a day-to-day. So, uh, that's my little plug for fantastic the other side of this, which is, you know, there yeah. is a positive side of this. Well, and that's part of what makes it all so complicated because, you know, if it were just, you know, I don't know, methamphetamines, you could probably say you could just do without it. You know, there's not that much good in that. Maybe the first <laughs> time. I don't know. Um, you might have to. That's not my specialty. But 
there's so much good, you know, in this opportunity that tech offers that this is what makes it so darn complex because it's about really coming from our more evolved self and not our reptilian self and using discernment to say, well, what, what does work for me in this? What really feeds um, my deeper needs? What at the end of my life, you know, will have felt like a life well, well lived a life, you know, in balance. If I spend the whole life on Snapchat and Instagram at the end of this unbelievable thing we call existence will that have been a life well spent and so we we have to ask the question with technology what parts of it really feed our our deeper human needs and that's the question i'm really trying to kind of raise in the book is nothing wrong with using technology um but the way we're using it is really out of alignment with what makes for a good life. And, you know, the question, again, about our rejection of now, you know, when, as you know, when the mind um, is taken off duty, right, the mind experiences that as the end of existence, you know. So we're when we're dropping into be here now, we're saying, you know, drop all thoughts of future, drop all thoughts of past, you know, just land, arrive here. And we don't judge it, but the mind goes into a panic state, a kind of a fight or flight, that, that's death. And so the more we can become aware that there are great benefits to dropping into here now, right? It's not, it's not just being a triathlete who can face death moment to moment that it changes um, the meaning and the value and the way we experience life if we can land in the moment, even if it's drop in, you know. And so um, there's an opportunity through technology to, again, raise this really important question of why is it important to be in our bodies in the moment that we're in? If we don't like the moment, why wouldn't we want to be in a virtual screen? Well, that's a great question, and that invites a great dialogue that is going to forever be of value. Hmm. Yeah. I think one of the other things that uh, is really um, a question for the the deepest part of our wounds or or a topic, and that's around attention, and you have a chapter devoted to that in the book, but uh, you say most everyone finds it difficult to allow the vulnerability that comes from exposing the parts of ourselves that we may consider unsavory or unlovable. It can be very scary to ask for what we really want and to communicate how we really feel, if it's especially if it's not the way we think we should feel. And um, I, uh, my own feeling around, and that's just part of it, and you go on, I'd like to talk more uh, about, um, uh, uh, well, you say to admit that we sometimes need to be at the center of someone else's attention, not just a sidebar to their screen or to the dozen conversations they are conducting through their device, is an act of great courage. And I think, to me, part of what our... our pro- there is a deep, deep uh, fear of vulnerability and exposing ourselves to people, which is why it, when we first went to India, and it's Ramdas's famous story of 
you know, when we sat with Neem Karoli Baba, and he sat with him, and he told him something nobody could know, so he thought, oh my God, he's in, he knows everything about me. How could... So Ramdas had all of these, uh, this this thought of all the horrible thoughts, and and of course the self-deprecation that goes on with those thoughts. I am the worst piece of junk that ever lived because I, you know, I am these thoughts and so on. And as he, you know, so he had those thoughts, and then he looked up, and and Neem Karoli Baba, we called him Maharaji, was looking at him completely, full on love, like you yeah. are the most wonderful, pure being that lives in this universe, and then he knew Ramdas at that point. That was the first experience he'd had of oh. that unconditionality. And that unconditionality, uh, to, to work towards that in our lives, and that's much of what we do at the Love Server Member Foundation, is, is really trying to reference that in, in all these different ways, but certainly yeah. through Ramdas's thing is around loving awareness and doing that practice. So we identify with our uh, spiritual hearts, whatever you want to call it. Um, Buddhists would call it something else. And uh, so, but I think that the the fact of attention that we are getting from from the technology, the attention that we desire, and the way that we cover our vulnerability. Those two, the juxtaposition of those things is, I think, a really um, contributing factor to uh, not wanting to go to that place of awareness so that we can mm -hmm. allow it to be. And uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's really super important. I think what you're saying is, you know, really insightful there because when we, in, when we get in touch with our own wounds, our own vulnerability, our own fears, right? Um, we are, that's the doorway to here now, right? That's, that's the entry point. Um, and in a sense, you know, what we're using all of this running and chasing and, and feeding to do I think I think you're spot on there is to stay away from our deeper humanness, our our I don't know, our vulnerabilities, our brokenheartedness, mm. you know. And the sad part in a way is that it's through our own compassion for ourselves. It's through our own heartbreaking for ourselves that we find, as we know, we find, as Nisargadatta says, you know, when I look out and I see that I am everything, we, we, we can't see that unless we go through the doorway of our own heart. And um, I look in, I see I am nothing, and I look out and I see that I am everything, and in between life moves, right? And... Um, what the way we're using potential acts of this virtual technology is um, to keep things moving so quickly that we never get anywhere near our own sensitivity, our own real needs, and building up a thicker and thicker layer of expectation that is false, that is actually false for everyone, that this way of being 
is somehow okay or somehow uh, in alignment with our real being. And so what you have is layers and layers now of inauthenticity and shame if you know we show that the emperor has no clothes, that the whole system is 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 less and less built for human being. You know, it's like the system works for technology, but less and less for kind of what really matters, what really matters to human beings. But uh, we're joining again at a very strange time in history with this um, agreement that this is working for us or this is okay uh, and moving farther and farther away from uh, our own hearts. And so the, the best you know, solution for that I always work with people on is the revolution starts here. It starts with our own, our own awareness. You know, when I say to somebody very, very small way, like in the book, you can ask someone that you're close to to put away their phone when you uh, are with them for a meal. You can say, I'd like your full attention, right? And just that little bit of vulnerability or admitting, yeah, I, I, I want all of you focused on me. Those are little moments to, to be the light in the darkness, mm. to you know, be the sanity in an insane world, yeah. right? Yep. Because the way we're behaving, again, it, it, it denies us access to the real sense of connection to everyone. Yeah. Someone once said, a uh, famous a writer, I believe, I can't remember her name, but I've quoted it more than once, I should. The most generous act that you can do with another person is to give them your full attention. Hmm? Isn't that right? That's uh, it. Yeah, that's everything. Now, to me, the core of of the whole uh, you you caught to me in the book the actual core issue, which you we've talked about a little bit, but um, I'm, I want to read it because it 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 is exactly what we all need to dig further into ourselves and reveal and understand. Um, the desire to capture life is motivated primarily by fear. We are afraid that if we stop trying to capture life, to pin it down and prepare it to be remembered, often before it has ever happened, we will miss out on it or it will go away. We are afraid of the impermanence that is the very nature of life, the fact that every moment, moment is born and then dies into the next, that nothing, not even our most memorable experiences, can be lived forever. In truth, we are always living with birth and death. And of course, sages for thousands of years have been uh, admonishing us to really look into the, into the impermanent nature of existence as a reality so that we are not so fixed on uh, those, uh, particularly our thoughts and our bodies and so on, that leads us to uh, pain, unhappiness, and suffering. Uh, and, and isn't this, uh, Nancy, such a core reason that this, we have gone wild using this technology for, to exactly uh, 
move away from that uh, understanding because, as you say, uh, the the fear of being of 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 being in the moment, the fear of not uh, being engaged in something that drags you outside yourself is so great that we don't want to um, to have that awareness, basically. Yes, and and that's why I write a lot about that in the book. That um, at a deep level, technology is the denial of our mortality. The way we're using it, it is really, um, you know, it is all about being uh, hyper focused on an object outside ourselves. People say that we're becoming uh, unfocused, but I would say we're becoming hyper focused where. We will always be in relationship with a something, right? Something. And that makes us feel somehow our own existence. You know, again, it's a kind of very primal drive when relating with an other or an object, a thought. There's an I and there's the something. And that makes us feel our own uh, livingness, our own existence. But when we're talking about dropping into the moment and not engaging with us something, but just experiencing being on its own, right? That is generating a primal fear that we don't feel ourselves, the, the I that then is relating. And so we have this tool now that allows us to always be in relationship with a something and feeling our ego self, our mind present, alive. And so the, the more we engage that way, the more frightened actually we become of being without an object to interact with. And so, you know, it's interesting because in mindfulness, as you know, um, we are the witness who is watching the sensations, the thoughts, and so on. And and then moving from mindfulness to more non-duality, then, then there becomes a kind of consciousness that is there that is not in relation. It is not witnessing. It is not in that dualistic role anymore. And, and that's when, you know, it sort of really opens up into a different experience of being the non-localized self right? The self that is not just watching because what we've developed in this culture is a kind of ego driven witness. So it's great. We're watching our thoughts, but it's another layer of the ego just kind of watching the thoughts. So what you're talking about, what you're using technology really now is to move further and further and further away from uh, the experience of a true being, you know, the real sense of just being without the I there defining everything. Mm, yeah. But, you know, one thing I want to say that's kind of hopeful, right, is that, you know, again, this idea of our own participation in this, right? I don't want to lose that because how we use this, if we get really curious about. Uh, the way we're using technology, it can become our teacher. It can become the opportunity to practice. 
you know, just like a difficult relationship, you know, when we recognize our partner as our spiritual teacher, then when the difficulty comes up, it's exciting because it's an opportunity to use it for quite the opposite, mm-hmm. uh, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, there's other analogies of of that as well. In this a conversation I just had with Ramdas, he suggested the exact same thing of people who are have gone into a chaotic, angry, fear mode out of the uh, new administration and and the policies of the new president. Many people are suffering big time as I'm sure you are hearing yourself. And and he said just the exact same thing. Look at this as an opportunity to go inside yourself and clean up your house, your inner house, and uh, and yeah, see it see it as such. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's. I love it. I love it for that reason. I I feel like fifty times a day I get an opportunity to practice. You know, when <laughs> I think, ooh, I wonder. You know, I wonder what. You know, who was that actor in that film? Oh. Sit with the not knowing. Let's see what your brain does with that. It just there are just so many opportunities to practice. Yeah, right. You know, and what we're seeing, right, as you know, just to, to say that again, to name it, is we're seeing um technology is not doing this. We're seeing some of the nature of, of the human being, of the species, and the way we're using technology is just putting front and center are some of our uh, more reptilian uh, yeah. tendencies. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well, Nancy, it, uh, thank you so much for this uh, delightful hour. Uh, the power of off, it's all in there, and uh, I encourage, because there isn't one person who's listening to this podcast or hears about this podcast and will listen to it that cannot uh, use the uh, the wise view that Nancy has uh, offered us through this book. So it's really fantastic. And uh, Nancy, uh, what about a website? Uh, people, I mean, sure. uh, you know, I'm going to come to New York and I'm, I'm going to sign up for a little therapy on this myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's well, going to be a big <laughs> line on that one. So, what? Well, you'll be first. Okay. You'll be first in the line. All right. Um, and your wife is worse, so maybe she should be first. My, but... Um, <laughs> Say that. I was going to say um, my website is nancycollier.com and it's one L. And um, yeah, if yes. anybody, I give workshops on it and oh, uh, it is, it is certainly the, the problem of, of the day. Yeah, no, absolutely. And of course, all of this will be on mind rolling on the page where the, uh, this uh, podcast will rest uh, on the Be Here Now Network, beherenownetwork.com. And uh, we'll have uh, Nancy's books uh, uh, there as well, which you can use our portal to go buy them on Amazon to give us a little support. That's our big commercial. Buy them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go buy them. And so. And uh, practice them. There's a detox in the book. Practice yes. the detox. Yes. No, absolutely. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. My delight. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll see you next week on Mind Rolling.